we don't actually check the tree's collision with the player's collision. We check the grid space that the tree is on because the tree has just said, hey, you can't, you can't walk here. I'm can't wa- go here. You can't go here, buddy. Hey, I'm tree in here. <laughs> Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 175 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I can be anything I want to be. I'm Sam, and I'm just doing my best. And today is September 11, 2017. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show, there's going to be profanity, and then we're going to talk about adult-oriented topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, like really tall things, you know, things that only adults can use. Mutual funds. Roller coasters. Mutual funds is a good coasters. one. Um, yeah, because you, although I think you can be a large child and still, but I guess you could be a large child are in we all this podcast too. Are we all just large An children? Adult or are we all small child. adults? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. We'll Brothers, what we got for news? Let's talk about the news this week. Uh, we announced our next game. It's called Scuffle Buddies. Yep, there it is. <laughs> uh-huh. We announced it last week. Uh, do you want to talk about? Yeah, let's talk the, about it real quick. The so, announcement, like, what did, what was our intention? How did it go? So the intention here is that we know that we totally messed it up a lot with the Crashlands stuff. How did mm-hmm. we announce Crashlands? So we, Crashlands, we wrote a blog post. Yeah, and I think that's that it. may have been. It. <laughs> uh, I think uh-huh. I think I may have sent an email to maybe a person. Just, uh, just, um, and, w- and the reason that we're, we're doing this, I know a lot of people are like, what's the game about? Well, you just have to wait because part of the reason that we're doing it slow like this is because our dev is extremely iterative. And what that means is there's certain parts of it that while we know sort of the broader points, aside from maybe, maybe giving a broad genre point at this juncture, we can't do anything else. Because we might accidentally do some, say something that doesn't actually exist in the game. But so, also by providing a broad genre, then it implies a whole bunch of stuff in y'all's brains that we don't want to not, be. We yeah, don't want not, to be hoarded. We don't want to be tied down mm-hmm. to what everybody mm-hmm. else thinks. You can't you constrain this. Nope. You can't right. put this in a box. We're like we're like fucking game Houdini. That's right. Game Houdini. Once you uncork it from the bottle, uh-huh, you can't put oh, it back. Genie. That's a genie, right. but a game genie, which is also a hacking <laughs> device for the Game Boy back right. in the 1990s. And we're talking about game Houdini, which also is a 3D modeling program. It is it's very neat. It's very cool. This is getting very confusing. Yeah. All right, anyway, so, so, the, so the question is, what is this game? Well, we're not going to talk. We're not going to talk about it yet. yet. But uh, we've had a lot of fun watching people's conjectures from the logo, which is designed specifically to be able to make conjectures from. So, Otherwise, we would have just put it in sort of Helvetica black. I was thinking Comic Sans with oh, a black yeah. outline, white. Mm-hmm. You know that sort mm-hmm. of really. What about yellow on white? That's, that's the classic Comic Sans yeah. Yeah. sort of configuration. Yeah. So, uh, so it, the, the announcement went very well. We we ended up getting press from both uh, Touch Arcade and PC Gamer, and then as well as a uh, Kick My Geek, which is a French site, which then got picked up on Je Video, which is their big video gaming site in France. I love that the, the site is called Kick My Geek. Because uh-huh. when I first heard that, I thought this has to be a mistake. <laughs> and I went, I was like, no, that's, they're just they're running with it. Yeah, that's it's their good. thing. Um, and <laughs> so we did we did end up getting a, a good amount of press, and the the newsletter has been rolling out. And so there's an important note here, which you might not have gotten the newsletter yet. Like it's not done running, correct? No, it's still we've, we're about ninety thousand emails deep, which means we half. still have about fifty thousand to go. So um, we could. Crank it up a notch, but I feel pretty good about this. Nice. The faster we send emails, the more pace. likely they go to spam. Yeah, so right. We gotta, so, and this is an important thing to note because we had some people asking or saying, "Oh, you know, I got I got the email about it, but I didn't, or I I did not get the email about it, but I heard it on this. You know, I thought it was supposed to be the newsletter was for special people only, and it's true. But uh, the problem is that we if we warm up our email service too fast, they catch on fire, and then mm-hmm. uh, yeah. we're not allowed to send emails. So this yeah. is the result. And even of, still, we haven't actually used it for a long time. That's exactly it. Like, and as a consequence, I think I'm pretty sure we're already like kind of in spam trappy territory because our open rate is lower than usual. Than usual. And it's not usually because of anything we do. Mm-hmm. Most of you guys actually really like our emails. So it tends to be when we're going. Yeah. To so here's the irony of this mm-hmm. is the fewer emails we send, the more likely we get counted <laughs> as a spammer. Yeah. I, yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have to send emails literally constantly. Well, because it's, it's all yeah, it's all about consistency. Right. So it's, no it's matter not, how many you send, as long as you do that consistently, if we sent thirty job. emails a day to each person in our newsletter system, mm-hmm. we would not be spammers as long as we just did well, as long that as people every opened day. them. Right. Sometimes. Right. Not much, really. Yeah. yeah. So that's an interesting wrinkle to the whole thing. But uh, we had we had a bunch of hilarious things happen on 
uh, announcement. And we've, we've talked on the <laughs> podcast a bunch about, you know, there's no such thing as a good launch. And we've been, we prepped for this thing for weeks um, on the PR side. And then for, I think, a week and a half on the tech side. So yeah, Adam, it was exactly one week on the tech week? side. So, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Thursday, it doesn't seem like much because it's just, here's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it seems like on the surface, that's the extent of it. Right. But, but there's, there's a lot going on under the hood. Yeah. Well, because what we needed to do was make it so that people could sign up for our newsletter. Mm-hmm. Which sounds really easy because uh, if you've never had to build that and don't know what the tech is on the back end, uh, and even if you've used one, you've probably used it on like... Uh, uh, I don't even know what MailChimp, Mail, Google yeah, Forms, something or, where you just put a form on a thing, and then somehow you just get to see in the back what came. Usually, out you of get it. a spreadsheet. Yeah, you get like a spreadsheet. But we're looking at potentially collecting thousands of email addresses. Yeah, and and we need to integrate these with our existing systems, and so we have to do this home ourselves. We're gonna homebrew it, and uh, and, it, and like, I mean, the, and it is actually very easy just to put up a form and collect email addresses. You can do that in mere moments, which I did do forever ago when we announced Crashlands, or no, when we. When we greenlit Crashlands, put up the announcement for that, uh, and as a consequence, we got hit by some spammer that then flooded our our form with tens of thousands of email addresses, and and so so anyway, so now we're trying to be more mature. So yeah, better, well, we're trying to trying to have a secure system. Yeah, and it turns out that as we've talked about in the podcast before, there's a lot of costs. It's very easy to do. Security most things, creates complexity. It's just that because people are kind of dicks, then <laughs> it takes a lot more time. It to only do takes things. one. Yeah, let's just one. So if we have we have ten thousand signups that are legit, and then one person comes in mm-hmm. and floods our server with twenty thousand fake emails, mm-hmm. then everything's broken. Yeah. So this was the so this is well, this is the one story I'll tell, which is the funny one, I think, the funniest one, which is that because of that spam bot, that Russian spam hacker thing happened with Crashlands, Adam put together a thing called a rate limiter, and what this allows us to do is just say like, are you requesting too many email addresses? Mm-hmm. That's it, and yeah. if so. Then Stop it. we're then not nah. going to let you do that anymore. Yep. So when the site went live at 10, uh, 10 a.m., we all mm-hmm. been refreshing the site a bunch, as well as I had been sending a bunch of test emails through to make sure that I was able to sign up for the emails. And right at 10, as the Tetracade article went out, as all of our scheduled things posted on various places automatically, um, and we started getting a big bulk of traffic to the site, the I got an error from putting in my email address. And mm-hmm. it just had some cryptic like, oh, sorry, this doesn't work right now. And I yelled across the table and said, Adam, this what? doesn't work does, right why now. Why does this not work right now? And uh-huh. he's like, well, you've been refreshing the page a bunch, right? Yeah, because right we're all now. behind the same IP address, right? So we're so the whole team was so essentially- So we got rate limited real quick. Yeah, we were essentially blocked. It looked at us and it was like, you guys are- You guys. You guys are doing this too much, so we're going to mm-hmm. put a layman on it. Take it easy, guys. Which would be good, except it turns out that the way Adam had programmed it was that it was actually a shared pool for everybody in the world. Which so means it wasn't just our table. <laughs> it's just that our studio, by refreshing the site a bunch before it went live, blocked, blocked everyone, everyone else in the world. <laughs> from yep. being able to Which is very it. hard to debug because yeah. you we couldn't know. So fortunately, I had the I had the, the logs open and running while everything was going. So I wanted to just like watch things go through and make sure it was happening fine. And I noticed all of a sudden I noticed uh, a whole bunch going in at once that were like AP AP API limit exceeded API limit exceeded over and over and over again. And Sam had been just refreshing it constantly. So I was just, I'd been ignoring it for a while, but I, but I was like, Sam, are you, are you still on the site? And he was like, no, I've been doing something else. I was like, oh, shit. And I, <laughs> and I was like, this, this, isn't, this isn't right. And so I dug through it. And uh, I mean, the details don't really matter, but. Uh, my favorite, my favorite image for this is Adam reaching into the code base and just ripping that out. Like just, just bloody parts and all, just ripping that <laughs> rate limiter out. turned it all off. And, uh, and I think I'll put it, I'll turn it back on. Once you know, well, this is this is a practice that we've that we've sort of taken to heart is to put kill switches on almost all of these kinds of security features and stuff, Mm -hmm. just in case they go horribly wrong. One of these things we were talking about actually on Thursday was how necessary it seems like it is to have huge steel switches that we bust out for launches Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we just USB plug into our computers, like like a lever, like a lever that just takes a lot of throw a fucking switch. Yeah. So like, okay, this one's attached to the rate limiter. So if that goes wrong, (laughs) you just Just pull that. You just turn it off. (laughs) Because how satisfying it would would be pretty fun for a launch, especially once Game Maker gets its, uh, it's like build pipelines yeah. done and all this kind of stuff. And then we could be like, all right, it's time. It's time, throw to, pu- it's time to publish the next build, right? <laughs> yeah, we just throw the switch. <laughs> yep. That'd We're going to have to do that. It's going to be That'd a thing. Be real cool. Yeah. We can we can probably Arduino a thing mm-hmm. where we pay, yeah. make it a big steel switch. Maybe like one of those ones like you see from the old movies when they turn on the electric chip. Yes, like that's the exactly big, what I want. The big oh, yeah, thing on the wall. Get, and they're just like, yeah. 
Yeah. And we can get one of those little globe, uh, what are those electric ball thingies is, uh, you know? Test the ball. Mm-hmm. Test the ball. We can put that on the top so it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's playing. But yeah, so yeah. the whole point is that Scuffle Buddy's announcements went, went very well and, and there's a, a nice rate of yeah. signups coming in. Despite all that. Despite stuff. all that. Do you want to talk about the, the counter failure? Because that one is, okay, I well, find particularly. Okay, amazing. sure, sure. I didn't want to throw all your faults out on the no, table. Is, so I'm totally <laughs> deaf. It was go. mostly my mistakes. It was. Entirely? So, exclusively, maybe? Well, yeah, but I think, well, there's an entertainment We got to this. explain this in a high level way because it is a little nitty gritty. Yeah, it's, but, but yeah, this thing is like, it, it is. So, exactly. The long and the short of it is the way we had programmed the email counter was tied to how many people were in the newsletter that was going out. Mm-hmm. And the newsletter that's going out, obviously, it's like it's like being in a mail queue. We had 136,000 emails, or 135,000 was at the start. To send out, which we are including in our counter of people who are signed up for Scuffle Buddies because they are. So the problem was that as each email went out, the system was like, I'm not sending that person an email anymore. So it decremented, which Mm -hmm. meant that every hour, that number that was on the website, which was supposed to show, you know, a thousand people signing up for the newsletter was actually going down by about a rate of a thousand mm-hmm. every single hour. Because of our probabilistic emailing robot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was funny. Uh, but we, I will say we, we have had a, a really, really good number of signups uh, since they came out. I think the song's been downloaded like a thousand times or something now. I think 2,000 times. Is it 2,000 times? 2,000. Yep. It's really it's cool. A good, it's a good jam. It's a good jam. It's a good so team. if you haven't checked it out, uh, go to scufflebuddies.com. Uh, and if you want just Scuffle Buddies alerts, you can put your email address in there. And you also get the theme music from the song. Yeah. And, and you'll get that from the newsletter if you're already signed up. But if you don't want to wait and you haven't gotten it yet, just go sign up for it. It's yeah, fine. it's an auto email. Uh, so. we'll, we'll be checking that email list against the normal Scotch ID when we send out emails. So you won't get two of stuff in mm-hmm. the future. And we've also got a couple other cool things came out this past weekend. Was uh, that? Adam's talk. Hit the, yeah. hit, hit the YouTubes. Hit the airwaves. Vacuum the inter- tube waves? The internet tubes. Vacuum waves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, this is Adam's talk that he gave at Pixel Pop Festival originally, and then uh, we had some video problems. Yes. So, we talked about the camera problem. Yep. So we got, our, we got our camera working. Everything is smooth as butter, mm-hmm. and uh, the audio turned out manageable despite yeah. basically the talk being Patrick given, helped us out on that one. Yeah, basically the talk was in a warehouse next to an air conditioner. Yeah, which does kick off about halfway through. That's good. So the, the audio does sound way better about 15 minutes in. So yeah. That's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, it's about a 35 minute talk and it's called Thinking. It's harder than you think. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, so I, I don't want to say too much about it. It may provoke thoughts. It might provoke Some thoughts. Would say. At the very least, it'll make you sit back and just go, damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, if you want to give it a watch, go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash uh, thinking dash talk. It's a really easy one, real convenient. Also, awesome. we just put it on our Twitter as well, so you can go over there and look at it. Yep. Um, and yeah. also, I got the fifth episode of my game dev tutorial series up, and this one is about how to do parallax scrolling backgrounds. Neato. Uh, which is, it's a it's a much shorter one than the others, so if you've been keeping up with that video series and want to learn more about how game do, then go on over there and watch learn that about video. about the game do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then last but not least, before we get to some questions... Uh, we've been in the midst of a bit of a review drive trying to get, you know, buff up our, our, our street cred, mm-hmm. our pod cred. Mm-hmm. Street like, cred's been a little, it's been a little dull. People like, how many stars you got? And it's like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. So yeah. if we get five stars, it's then like we get arrested. Good. I think Is we that? get <laughs> tanks deployed <laughs> yep. to come get us. Yeah. yeah. We just get our own military. No, we get attacked by, we get attacked, we get attacked by, by, by yeah. right. a military. So if you want us to be attacked by the military, go give us five give stars. Us five stars. Uh, bit.ly slash CWB Apple. Because we're trying to push them all into iTunes yes. for various reasons. And uh, so one of the things we wanted to do was to uh, periodically snag some of these reviews. You guys did not disappoint. We just... get, so we got a review. We get Okay, we got a whole bunch. And we can't read them all because... That was, that's all we'd be doing. That's all we'd be doing. They're, 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 some of them are very elaborate and hilarious. <laughs> um, and so, so you should go read them. Read us an expert, an excerpt from excerpt. one of them at least. Uh, yeah. so, expert, expert, excerpt. So this is, uh, review is by Degeki. Who is one of our great podcast questioners? Mm-hmm. Who this is a bit it's a bit lengthy. All right, so brace your loins. All right, brace. Degeki says, "Are you sad, lonely, or sick of your dead end life? Well, you're in luck. There are people out there looking out for you. They're called counselors, and they're not involved in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is that this podcast can still help. Every week, the three brothers Coster come to your device to deliver laughter, life lessons, and a metaphoric crowbar that you can use to break into the gaming industry." Each podcast chronicles how the brothers approach life and building their entertainment empire one brick at a time, which they then pick up and smash right into your funny bone repeatedly. 
if you don't walk away from listening to this as a much better person, that's okay, because these guys do this for the funsies, not to force a change on you. But hey, if you want to change, just listen closely, and you're bound to hear something you can use to make life less awful. With enough lessons learned here, life might even get good. Disclosure, these are not licensed health professionals. Any advice heard here will not improve your grammar. A better life outlook is not guaranteed. There's no liability for bad advice. No financial advice given here should be taken seriously. <laughs> that funny smell is not the podcast, but probably you and a shower can usually fix it. This podcast is not to be taken before bed. If you experience headaches or bleeding <laughs> after listening, you should consult your doctor. That's definitely true. I, you know, I think Degeki may have a future. In drug commercial, right? I'm be honest. Uh-huh. Yeah, this I, is feeling real good. I feel like I should have read that last part at triple speed, but I just don't really have. The, I don't have the diction. <laughs> Maybe if Patrick is paying really close attention, he can speed that up real. He can real speed good. that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, was, I mean, we've been very humbled by all the fantastic uh, reviews that we've gotten from everybody. So, um, and every single one is super helpful. We are pushing for a hundred, which is you know, it's pretty high goal. It is high but, goal. But I mean, we're, we're closing in already. We're so and of course, many more than we had when we first yeah. started, which and is and of the course point. the question is why, which is basically if we want to actually get the podcast featured and promote in other places, um, we that demonstrate that people like it. Yeah. And, so, and it. so that, that hundred review threshold is sort of a, it's like a starting point. It's yeah, a magic arbitrary idea. number that yeah. we all have collectively agreed that while well, arbitrary is it's also magic important. and a number and a number. Yeah. All right, so having said all that, let's get on to some questions. Let's do it. These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. They're from our listeners and people and randos on the internet. So let's get started. First question comes from Rampandapus, who says, Seems like lots of game developers are using loot crates as part of their monetization strategies. Why are they doing this? Is they referring to the company loot crate specifically or to the concept in general? Why are they doing this as opposed to selling the individual items in the crates? This feels like a player hostile practice. Thoughts? Mm. So what I want to know is, why is it that only game developers are doing this? You mean, why can't I go to the car dealership and say, hey. Hey, car dealer. Hey, car dealer. I got 18 thousand dollars to drop i was just gonna buy a car but i don't even i don't want to know i don't know which one i want or rather i'll pay you oh you're talking about the probabilistic loot crate. okay yeah. so yes. i was thinking of the company loot crate that sells merchandise oh yeah we should we should okay clarify. this was all very so, loot, so loot crate the way for some reason many games are doing this now overwatch does this rocket league over i think it, so overwatch hearthstone it, it starts with the idea of a card pack a card pack is what a loot crate is but in a different form, right? So yep. usually what it is in, in trading card games, you'll buy just a pack of cards. You don't know what's in it. It's got a wrapper, so you can't see the cards. And when you rip it open, then you are very disappointed or very happy, depending on it, because or, it's a random reward. Maybe you're just like, this is worth $5. But the point being, you don't get to decide what you're getting. Correct. You're gambling. It, and it is. So, <laughs> yeah, well, we talked about this a few, we talked about exactly this a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. which I guess I would summarize by saying exactly that. It's, it's gambling. gambling. And it's it's well, bad. let's talk about why and it is player hostile. Let's talk about why. So because there's there's other practices here that that don't involve necessarily trading money that are equivalent in terms of their their uh, psychological response. And all this comes down to is the fact that it, when you're conditioning someone to do a thing and trying to get them to, for example, be addicted to playing your game or spending money on it, um, one of the best things you can do is make it so that the reward is variable and not always guaranteed. So the reality is, if it's the case, for example, with your uh, with your children. Or with your dog. Let's use dogs because it's an easier response for everybody. So if with your dog, every single time it does a particular thing, you give it a treat, it will not work as well from a general conditioning standpoint as if sometimes you don't, sometimes you do. That's just, it just works better for whatever reason because <laughs> of how our brains work. So uh, conditioning works better when the, the rewards are uh, not guaranteed and are necessarily a bit more sporadic. And then when, when that looks like in games is if you play something like Diablo, something that has loot, uh, something like Crashlands, for example, Mm-hmm. Every single tree you break open, every creature you break open, there's a random smattering of goods that may or may not appear as well as some legendary items and stuff. So, well, And it's a sliding scale where the reason, the reason we do this is because sameness is boring, mm-hmm. right? And so if we were like, we made, a, we made a crafting game where every item in the game is a tree and every tree you break drops one log and then you just build an increasingly uh large <laughs> increasingly, wooden thing yeah you just keep like you just keep <laughs> building a wooden chest plate that you know what the stats are going to be it just has hp on it 
And it's yes. basically, you just put one log in to get one more HP. So even the description right? is hilarious, right? I mean, it but that's But that's what it would be right. like to to sort of not have the randomization and the surprises. Right. So you, we need that in order for things to, to be interesting because we, we need those surprises. Yeah. So the question is, there's an ethical question as far as when do you get to use this? And I think this is, this is the part, this is the important part. So right. this is also a keystone of, uh, so speaking from my own experience, having been in an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. this is part of the keystone of how an abusive relationship works. You don't know whether the person's going to be amazing to you that day or horrible. Yep. And the thing is that there's, there's an intoxicating effect that happens because of that. Um, in the it same makes way, the good stuff seem even better. Exactly, you're getting kicked around, highs and lows all over the place. Uh, and so there is an interesting ethical question with regard, I think, to to games generally, which is where is it okay to apply this? Mm-hmm. Where is it okay to put randomness with regard to reward? Because playing a game is its own activity that is done basically for itself, right? There's no point. Yep. So the question is, if when you start ta- attaching money to the potentiality of those rewards, is that where we start having an issue? Where's the ethical line here? It's, I don't know. I don't know if, see, again, I, I don't think there's a line so much as a spectrum. It's a gradient. Yeah. yeah. We're sort of. Well, it's kind of a potential for harm gradient, right? Sure. Because the fact is that even a thing that doesn't necessarily suck money out of your wallet, the more fun a thing is, the more time you spend doing it. Right. And time has a cost mm-hmm. because yep. you could be making money because it's capitalism. Time right? is so money. Your time is money. <laughs> time is money. <laughs> it's friend. just the same thing. <laughs> right. So, uh, so any, but, but the opportunity cost of anything, of doing anything, not just the financial one, but if you spend time doing one thing, you can't spend it doing something else. Mm-hmm. So the more fun a thing is, the more time you're going to spend doing it. So even if a thing isn't pulling money out of your wallet, if it uses mechanisms that are known to then make you want to keep playing these sort of addictive kinds of mechanisms, right? Things that are more fun for you that you get more joy out of, which is why you keep on doing it. Uh, sort of the, the more intoxicating you make a thing, just like drugs and alcohol, mm. the more dangerous it can get. And so I think it's just kind of on a, and if you now couple that with something like, oh, also we get to pull money out of your wallet. Right. right. Now you have the, you're taking their time I think they and just, their money. Yeah. I think that just, it just bumps you up really far down that scale. Right. One of uh, those is actually with, uh, with Rocket League. Cause they started doing this crap too. That's like, st- I stopped buying stuff in Rocket League. Once yeah. They did it. Well, cause they give you, they give you, a, they randomly will give you crates and then mm-hmm. you have to buy a key to open the goddamn crate. And the first time I got a crate, I was like, oh, this is neat. And so I bought a key for like a buck, buck and a half or something. Yep. I did the same thing. Opened it. And was disappointed. Yep. And I was like, well, why You're did I never do that? doing that? I'm again. so confused. <laughs> and I was like, if they, just, if they just let me buy the yeah, decal, well, the, the shitty thing is, that I want from my car. They've clearly put a lot of effort into making a lot of these. Like, there's this, there's this one eight uh, bit pixelated rocket trail that you can get, and Ooh. it actually sounds like it's from a retro video game. Like the sound is all kind of like crunched out, like a eight bit style sound effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pixelated, super cool. And it's in a loot crate. Like that's how you, you get. You can't it. just you can't just buy. Yeah, it. like I would pay like five bucks to get that thing for my car, <laughs> right. and they won't let me, so I'm just not going to. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting. One. Yeah. So I think uh, I I guess largely I don't think any of us are particularly on the loot crate train as it, as it as it's used for money making purposes. Well, but, yeah, but I think about the purpose of that because you can think about this in the same sense as like a, a roguelike, where what a roguelike does by having you die permanently on a run. Mm-hmm. is extend the sort of effective lifetime of the game because you it's you don't just like get to go beat it incrementally, right? You just right. make some progress, die, make some progress, die. And it actually then allows you to have a lot less game and then seem to have a lot more game. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it's a useful design principle if you're trying to make a game and, you, and you're, and you're restricted you get, on time. You get more mileage out of your content. Right. Uh, but you can, now you take that same principle and apply it to uh, stuff you're trying to sell. Right. Because in this case, like if I want that eight bit thing, so I'm just going to go gamble on it. Right. Every time I don't get it, now I have to gamble again. Mm-hmm. It might take you a hundred dollars right. to get it. Yeah. So now you can have a whole bunch of stuff. So now, you, now, you're, now your content can be on average actually less valuable. But having the more high valuable stuff in there mm. makes people have to spend a lot more money as if everything they're, that they're buying is high value. Interesting. Well, so I've been doing this in uh, uh, Diablo 3, which I've been playing since the Necromancer came out. And. There's this one item I'm trying to get, which requires these four rare drops from very rare things out in the world. And it's a compounding randomness problem. So yep. the final piece, which I cannot get, I've spent probably like four hours trying to get this thing. Uh, you have to, you go to an area and there's a 50% chance first that the cave that you want will spawn. Okay. Okay. Now, if the cave that you want spawns inside of that cave, there's a 50% chance that the boss creature will spawn. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a 5% chance that that boss creature will drop the thing. Okay. 
It's not great. But I guess you could probably, if the cave isn't there, you can quit and start and try again. Correct. Okay. So it's a, the, re- the redo time is like 30 seconds, right? But it's so kind of crazy it. you just have to It's just very that. annoying, especially when you couple <laughs> with the fact that they have a 10-second timer to make you leave, right? You yeah, leave game right. and it just counts down from 10, which if you're trying to do this goofy grinding stuff, it's very annoying. <laughs> just like, just up there. So I've been working on this for, I don't know, probably three or four hours, like I said, and still haven't gotten it. But the reward is, I know exactly what the reward is. And I do feel like I'm working toward it in the sense that I'm just putting it to the time. <laughs> it's like times. a fun thing to do. Yeah, one yeah, of these one times. Of these and it's gonna... just sort of like, it's my goofy video gaming activity that I'm currently doing, right? Just like when I played Terraria and decided to build that spaceship UFO thing that just like mines the world. That thing is pretty fucking rad. Because sometimes <laughs> it's just kind of fun to do. And, <laughs> and if any of you who play Terraria and haven't seen that thing, you should. It's incredible. It's pretty fucking rad. You should YouTube that. So. That's like what, but I've been enjoying that time. I haven't felt, I don't feel compelled to go do it. Well, I think it's because it, it doesn't feel like you're being exploited. That's probably what it you is. Know? And, and well, in a you, way, you, you are know still, the, but yeah, you know the rules of this thing. Mm-hmm. I guess if I had to pay like a buck to enter the cave each time. Yeah. Then you, be, then you would know you were being exploited. Right. Right. Because then you always have to ask the question, well, why? Because right now you can basically be like, well, this is kind of dumb and frustrating, but really what they did is they just coupled a reward on top of the existing game infrastructure. Right. right? Which feels like it makes sense. Uh, it's just a, to me, it's a fun extra thing right now. Yeah. If but I had as to pay soon a buck you, to get in the cave, mm-mm, right. Mm-mm, nah. Or what if they removed the cave entirely and just put that thing in a loot crate? <laughs> well, that's the interesting point, though, too. Because like, it, it cuts out gameplay. Well, right? I think this is the thing about the thing about a lot of these practices. And and there's a great article in uh, Kama Sutra about this, about the, what, the data implosion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the idea is that so much of dev is going into these extractionary mechanisms, loot crates optimizing uh you know ltv on mobile games That's lifetime value darpu arpu all this other That's crap a daily daily average revenue, revenue per, per user. user there's so much so much mental bandwidth in a company and money from a company standpoint going into extraction methods versus if rocket league was like, like you're drilling for oil like yeah <laughs> if rocket league was like hey money. we're gonna make a campaign a season campaign that you can do and these rewards are available at these points in that game, and that's it. The AI rank, the AI ramps up over time. It's a single player campaign. They haven't done that yet. Or if they were like, "Hey, some of our matchmaking systems and the way that people can just leave matches whenever the fuck they want break multiplayer in this game. Maybe we should fix that so that more people want to play the game." Right. So I think that's actually the frustrating thing to me is that because the the even the more annoying problem. So yes, loot crates are basically gambling, but the other well, they thing, just are gambling. They just are. Gambling. <laughs> but the the other thing to me about it is that that is dev time. Yeah. And then his death and it can else. go to something else. Yep. And so that's always the question for me is, cool. What did we lose to get this? Yeah. To get this these goddamn loot crates. <laughs> it's crazy. Yep. I don't like it. Well, anyway. also, it also completely <laughs> removes any satisfaction you could possibly get out of obtaining the thing. It, it has a little bit left because it's a gambling component, mm-hmm. right? But it's not coupled to the game at all. Right. So you now, don't do anything to earn you it. Don't you don't do just anything. Have so now, money. yeah, because it used to be, you know, Original vanilla Rocket League, they still had the random unlocks, but it would just be every time you complete a match, just you get one, you just get one, mm-hmm. and then and then you're like, oh cool, and, and you then, go, you could try it on your card, see how it but looks. Think about it, they had because they had those practice sessions. They could say, yep. okay, if you manage to get ten of the striker goals in a row in the first section, then you get this thing. Yep. Well, because then if you beat your best time, or right. add an obstacle course, right? Because then if you, you the, the thing, <laughs> right. the value of those is then that if you see someone with that out in the world, it means something. it doesn't mean that they're rich. It means that they're good. <laughs> or you mean that they right. were rich, or that they were rich. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. That's like what I think. Anytime I see somebody driving a really nice car around, I'm like. That person used to be rich. <laughs> Anyways. And may or may not still be. Yeah, Loot Crate's whatever. Pass. Yeah. Hard pass. Uh, but, all right. Not to be confused with the company Loot Crate, which I was originally confused about when we started this thing off. They're pretty cool. Mm. It's a they different just, thing. Unrelated. They sell merchandise. It's, it's not, kind of the same. I don't think they do they send you, stuff. But they nah. send you random merch. Yeah. Right? Uh, Ooh, it actually though. is oh, random, isn't it? it? Yeah. It. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get. That's true. How come anyway, we don't need to go down okay. that <laughs> But you also don't know what the pool of available things is, right? That's, that's probably the difference. Because that's genuinely like, yeah, give me something fun. That's like when you go to a restaurant, you're like, I don't know, bring me whatever's good. Yeah. That's right. like what loot crate is. Yeah. It's a different not the equivalent kind of, of intention. Yes. Or, or yeah. like a blue apron. Blapron. Like you're going to pay them every week and they're just going to send you random ingredients. You have no idea what's coming. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to cook. But that's what you want. Because you're going to eat all of it, <laughs> yes. and you just want food. So it's right. going to serve your purpose. <laughs> right. Um, all right, next question comes from Kayul. When developing your games, do you prefer tile-based collisions or instance collisions? Mm. This is a bit of a technical question here. What does it mean? All it means is, in a game world, you often have a grid. 
Okay. You can you can take, you know, pixel XY coordinates, you can turn those into a into a grid. So like graph paper situation. Yeah. Cool. And so you can basically, let's say you have 50 objects in the world and they each have different shapes. Um, and you have your little character and you want to ask the question, is my character like banging up against these shapes? So that like a, maybe it's a bullet, maybe it's a like a piece of ground to a walk on. A bullet is one of the most painful shapes to bump up. It's against. bullet shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the question is basically, how do you calculate that? Like what's the, what's the code that you use to, to ask that question? So with an instance collision, your little player character will actually check where it is and then its own shape and then compare that to where everything else is and those shapes to see if they overlap, to see if they overlap. And if, if so, then it'll, it'll do whatever it's supposed to do. It'll be like, fuck, I've collided. You're like, I got bulleted. Right. (laughs) Um, And so that's, that's more expensive because it basically requires every time the game updates, which is usually 60 times per second, right? 60 frames per second. Every time the game updates, it has to ask that question. Everything has to ask everything else. Hey, where are you? And are you Mm. bumping into me? Are you... Yeah, it's like, are we overlapping in space right now? Yeah. Right. So the advantage of- Hey, bullet, are you inside me? Yep. Am I supposed to be <laughs> Am dying? I dying? <laughs> Am I dying? Hey, bullet. Uh, the bullet's like, yeah, man, you're yeah, so man, dead. Yeah, man, you're, yeah, this is bad. You're gone. <laughs> so, it looks real uh, bad in here. Looks real- <laughs> blood everywhere. It's not, it's not looking good, buddy. <laughs> um, so tile-based collisions are basically using, taking advantage of the fact that you have this grid. And so you'll have sort of like, let's say you have like a, a, a piece of terrain, like a block that you can walk on. And that block will store some information at a grid location. So then as a player, you can just, instead of checking every block in the world, you can just look where your feet are and, and check like, hey, at this XY place, is there a block there? And, it, and it's just a, checking one single thing, which is yes or no. And if it's yes, then you're like, ah, I'm going to stand here. So right? you do the same thing if there's a bullet there too, Yeah, right? You're yeah. like... Hey, grid space that I'm on. Is there a bullet yeah. here well, with so this, me? So this also? is the tricky thing: is is tile collisions work pretty well for static things mm-hmm. like terrain or something like that. Um, when it comes to bullets and stuff like that, it's a lot, it's a lot tougher because they so tend to have. You, do you mix and match? You got to mix and match. Okay, you so know? you use you use the tile based collisions for for environments, static no, stuff that can be. Cheap. And if you notice in in Crashlands, we have a combination. So for example, like you'll see a tree or a rock or something like that, and you cannot walk on the grid space that that tree is on. It's why all the art is done to fill. Yeah. So the, the, the whole tree, uh, like we don't actually check the trees collision with the player's collision. We check the grid space that the tree is on. Cause the tree has just said, Hey, you can't, you can't walk here. I'm you can't wa- go here. You can't go here, buddy. Hey, I'm tree in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can't go there, right? Um, and this is also why, for example, when we put, if you, in crash ends, you can do this experiment where you, you take two walls and you place them corner to corner. So there's like a on diagonal On the space, diagonal, yeah. And you can walk right between them because you can just make that little pixel jump mm-hmm. between, in that little area between the grid spaces. It um, is kind of tricky to pull off though. So you usually can't. Yeah. Just but some, sometimes, sometimes it used can. to be much easier in the beta. It used to be much easier. Yeah. People were people were squeezing into all sorts of places. Yeah. <laughs> so we were so we were like, is this a problem? I don't know, whatever. Close um, enough. Yep. And so it just kind of depends on, you know, if you're making it for weaker devices and stuff like that, those tile collisions are real nice to to use. Um, but yeah, there's a little little technical aside. Mm-hmm. All right, next question comes from Woland77. Do you think that game devs should take into consideration streamers and where they put their camera slash bust shot while streaming when they design game UIs. So should we make a little, like a little corner, like a little Nestle area? That's actually interesting. You could even have a UI setting. I was going to say, that's all you should do. Yeah. But then that would have your stuff slightly. Scale. Uh, some people like having their face bigger than other people. What I was thinking we could do is actually when a streamer plays, we put in like a separate game mode, mm-hmm. right? Where they can overlay their face just like onto everything. Mm-hmm. Because the, all the characters the have their face. Yeah. All of the weapon slots have their face. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, why just rearrange the UI? You know, why don't we just... To just make it all about the streamer. Get in there. I mean, as far as I understand, they're the content creators. Yeah, right. It's, like, it's not us. We're it's sort true. of we're sort of subservient to the stream to the yeah. our Lord and Savior, the streamers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so we should probably just go ahead and instead of doing this little like nod to their existence, we should just acknowledge the fact that they basically own us, <laughs> and everything that we do should probably true. reflect. That. Well, it does. That particular viewpoint does speak to a larger, interesting sort of feel that a lot of game devs have because it is weird. That like you spend all this time making a game, 
for example, uh, you know, two years. You're behind the scenes. You're behind the scenes the whole time. Um, and then it's totally possible using affiliate links now for something like Amazon with Twitch uh, for streamers to get paid like a buck per copy of your game or something like that, which is, I think the only reason it's, it's, a, it's a weird fairness thing because it's like, I spent the last two years of my life making this <laughs> and I get 10 of the dollars and you get one of them, right? And it's like- Because you played it for 30 played. minutes. <laughs> it's like, ah, but I, you know, I, tell you, I do feel like it because there's a ton of added value that comes from that. So I, but I do also, think, it's, it's very, streaming is very hard. Oh yeah, we've done it a few times. It's brutal. I don't know how people yeah, do it for which like I, three I don't think any, nobody session. should nobody should assume that we don't respect the amount of work oh, and Lord. talent that goes into being a good streamer because yeah. it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I do I do think there's there's a lot to say for making it easier for people to stream because I do think it's it's just it's another one of those platform things, right? So we've we've talked about uh, making a making a game feel native on PC or on mobile or whatever else requires sort of rethinking some of the UI elements and. That is actually a very good point. I don't you may think... want it to feel native on Twitch. Yeah. yeah and why so... not? That's a really good idea, actually. I haven't been thinking about it. Yep. Or even uh, trying to figure out ways to, because a lot of games use like Twitch uh, API plugins and stuff mm-hmm. like that so that people can chat and, you know, weird things happen. Right. Um, so, you know, I think I think there are some games that are specifically going out of their way to accommodate uh, streamers and their communities and stuff like that, which is something we actually, we just haven't had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, and I think it is also important to remember with all of this that it's just, it, I, I'm completely unaware of any examples if they do exist uh, where streaming has sold more copies of a game than like the platform did itself. Right. Mm-hmm. So, which is, which is basically just a long winded way of saying, Streamers might actually contribute to a bunch of your sales, but they are not the dominant source of your sales. And so if you're trying to make a decision about how do I design my game, given that streaming might contribute to its success. It's a component of the marketing. Don't design it as if like that's the thing that will make it successful because you don't want to guide all of your design decisions based on one of the mechanisms by which people will find access. I I would also point out that I, I believe this to be true, but I understand that this is a bit of a assumption, which is if you look at the top streamers, they tend to play a specific game. Mm-hmm. And I would, right. I would argue that those communities are largely also already players of that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so the streamers who play lots of variety of things, they tend to not be the top, uh, the top ones. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it's, like it's they make it like a thousand or something right. like that views yeah. at a time. Yeah. It's interesting. Interesting. It is different on YouTube. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Um, because people use that as a game discovery mechanism, Mm -hmm. I think, more so than live streaming on Twitch and so on. Yeah. Good point. Good point, Woland. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Yeah. Our next question comes from Kulabula, who says, (laughs) lots of the books you guys recommend say persistence is a good thing. Mm. So, Seth, any chance of a terrain Perlin noise tutorial? (laughs) (laughs) I know it would be the best. Nice one. I know it would be the best and most comprehensible one in the world. Why don't you do that for your next game dev series? For anyone who hasn't been listening to this for a long time, this this question has been asked on many occasions. Rather, because like the thing is, you can't do this verbally in a podcast in no way that <laughs> would anybody be able to follow no. nor be of interest. So why don't you do a YouTube tutorial? For I, yeah, I could I could do that. My only worry of doing a tutorial is so it was hard for me to figure out Perlin noise because so many tutorials get caught up in the details. Like they have all these crazy formulas and all this insane looking math that if you're not a mathematician, you're looking at all these symbols. Most people use, for some reason, most people use unbelievably terrible variable names. They'd be like, all right, so the height is A. (laughs) What? That doesn't. Just just fucking call it height. Use an H. You're using a computer. Use the word. Use height. You know, so they end up with this just incomprehensible pile of garbage Mm -hmm. code. Um, and I got, as I was looking through that, I got so caught up in trying to understand those formulas that I ended up just failing repeatedly. Mm. And it wasn't until I just started going and trying to find basically the, the lowest amount of detail tutorials possible so that I could understand the general idea. Um, and then once I did that, I just made up my own implementation, right? And uh, my only concern with making a tutorial is that it would by nature just be a lot more in depth because I'd be doing it through Game Maker or whatever. And I may end up just making it worse for people because I get so caught up in but the I details. Think, uh, Unless given, I gave like a lecture or something like right, that. Right, but, it, but it's basically the core concept is of using the fact that random numbers aren't, or I guess that random numbers are seemingly random, but actually are not. Right. And using that to generate a consistent, seemingly random pattern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works. And I think 
you ought to be able to make like the, the stupidest, most uninteresting, you know, random terrain possible just by basically using like, cause we, we have, we, we just uh, remade like the, which is the Mersenne twister algorithm or whatever. One of the ones that makes random numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we use that in crash lanes to make it cross platform um, compatible. Uh, so you can just basically have that. That just gives you your string of numbers. Right. Yeah. And then just move along it. Yeah. Cause that now that is how it works. And then the details are exactly how you implement it for what you need to do. So I think you could put together. I mean, I could. It, might, it might have to, it would probably start with just a, like a few minute. Listen, here's how, here's the idea. Yeah. And here's how this whole thing works and then get into the nitty gritty and then stepping out. Yeah. Cause times. cause actually, I mean the Perlin noise is, it's very simple once. It's the, actually, yeah, it's not that complicated. The idea is basically you've got static, right? So if you like, if every pixel is random, like random between white and black, right? That's, that's static, right? Now, what if you just stretch that? There, that's Perlin noise, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like Makes you just, perfect sense. Just stretch it out. <laughs> you stretch it out so that like instead of every pixel, it's like every 10th pixel is randomly white or black. And then you just fill in the blanks in between so that you don't, so that like it smoothly goes from one to the next. Well, I think given that this is the most one of the most requested game dev yeah. tutorials, you might, you might just be next on your list. Yeah, I'll I'll try, try to come up with some sort of a you know drill down method, right? Start like really high level, maybe implement something really stupid that just kind of shows. Well, now we got this ideas. video camera. I could probably do it on the whiteboard first. Actually, that's true. Mm, and yeah. then move into Game Maker. That's true. So it'd be like a two part video. Mm-hmm. Done. All right, cool. All right. You, get your, you get your dang wish. Because I know what I'm doing I... this entire weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. You better enjoy it. Next question comes also from Kulabua. Dang. Who says, he's, again, he's very persistent. <laughs> who says, he says again, I want a video. <laughs> With your next game, you will be having the same launch day for all platforms, or will you launch on Steam first? As Steamers don't know cross-platform dev exists because you're either a PC game or a damn dirty mobile port <laughs> and nothing else is possible. Yeah, I think that well, is true. Uh, yeah. Our goal still is simultaneous launch and everything. Um, who knows what's going to happen, but that is the goal at this point in time. And the reason I'm couching it is because there's all sorts of crazy crap that could go down that we could. We might accidentally launch, you know, seven days before our launch date. Yeah. These things happen. And yeah. who knows what will happen. As Maybe we, the game will get leaked as like I, Game of Thrones. As I feel like we tried to illustrate with the Scuff Buddies announcement stories from this morning, as much planning as we do. Everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. So, but even when it comes to the plan, we we may decide to try doing some sort of a staggered launch this time. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I I do. I think at this point, it is fair to say that we highly, highly doubt it'll be any of those long staggered launches, like yeah. a lot of things do. Um, at least when it comes to the, our core uh, mm-hmm. platforms that we're already on. Um, the other ones, because those usually take a much larger investment, um, might still have that long stagger if uh, if we do them, but. Yeah, yeah if anything, be. it would actually just be because our dev team is still small. And that yeah. means that if it's the case, for example, say the game is actually as successful as we want it to be on each platform, we will crush ourselves under the weight of that. So that, that's just something that we're going to have to make the call on as we get close and say, how well has our marketing been going? What's the fervor like look like for this game actually coming out? Um, because there are still only a few of us butterscotches in the world, and mm-hmm. we like living well, mm-hmm. and there's also, a, a, you know, an aspect of this game that may or may not happen, which is multiplayer. Mm-hmm. And if it does happen, then... That opens up a can of wiggles. That opens up a lot of wiggles. And we have to, we may need to do some various kinds of like soft launching strategies mm-hmm. and kinds of stuff to Ooh, test yes. out infrastructure, make sure things are working, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if, and that, that, so there are various kinds of even just technical scenarios outside of marketing scenarios where we might want to do some sort of a staggered launch. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause at least so far it's been the case that our audiences on, on each platform are about the same size. So it's just, it's just a bunch of people. Right. Right. Uh, and so, de- so we can basically deploy it all at once or deploy it, you know, one over N each time mm-hmm. and be able to, we just don't want an error 37 situation with Diablo, you know? Yeah. We avoid. Yep. Well, I've, I have a, that. one strategy that we could take. All right. Hit me. Is actually just, just keep developing the game sort of in perpetuity. Never launch it. Um, wait until the industry consolidates enough that it's all just one platform, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of launching it on iOS and Android and Steam and GOG and Whatever. Xbox and all like all these things, we'll just launch it on the one overlord platform, you know, like this, this the steamy X. I think it's just station. gonna be the the Facebook blimp. It's probably worth it. The face blimp. The face blimp. Yeah. <laughs> what is every game is on face blimp? Mm-hmm. And that's just uh mm-hmm. that's just the way it is now. Yeah. You know, that's the world of twenty thirty nine. Yep. So <laughs> that's 
that's a sort of a backup plan. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Brug, who says, <laughs> who says, what are your greatest inspirations? Mm. Air, mostly. I, I knew that was good. <laughs> Nitrogen. That's the that's the greatest. Uh, that is one. the greater about part. Seventy percent. But I think like oxygen that. is the greatest among them. Say, does it count as breathing it? Since you just breathe it back out, you know, like you I mean, use it. It went in there, though. It went in there, but then it came back out. Yeah, but you know, that's true of everything. But like, if but you but if drive, it's oxygen, it went in for a while before it came back out, and then it came back out as pee, which is kind of. <laughs> It's kind of gross, you know? It's kind of weird. <laughs> it goes out as carbon dioxide. Greatest. It gets moleculed. Yeah. Greatest inspiration. It gets I, moleculed. I think a big part of it, and part of the reason for doing, there's another part of the reason actually for doing the announcement, um, is I think people, until, you, until you've been making a project and get to show it to an audience who has a reaction, I think you don't understand the amount of fire that it also gives you as a creator to go work on it some more. It's always, it's just so exciting to announce a project at any, at any stage, as well as like releasing information about whatever else, when the fan response is something, um, at least some, hopefully not some negative, but something. Uh, so I think for, for me in particular, I think I've gotten to a place, I mean, because things we had enough success with, with Crashlands where we hit a few of the tiers that we didn't think we would hit for a while. We've now given a talk at GDC, we've done the DICE, we got nominated for a DICE award, and we have a joke, which is the, the windowsill in our, our one window in our basement office is covered with all of our second place trophies right now. Mm-hmm. It's our second place windowsill. Yeah. So we've, we've never won any award for anything, but we have gotten second place quite a bit. And mm-hmm. I think that... Aside from our game of the year awards from various, well, yeah, I mean, from various the, publications. Not, not, not physical things. <laughs> yeah, they, right? We didn't get any trophies. They didn't send us any yeah. trophies for that. We can't put that on the window. We got we to gotta make and our as own. we all learned from gym class and from sports... The only thing that matters is trophies. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we don't have we, any. We're millennials. So, you know, I don't understand anything unless I get a trophy for it. Yeah, that's right. Got to get that pat on the back. Yeah. Game. We didn't even get participation ribbons. I know. That's true. Because if we had that, then actually we would be fine. Mm-hmm. We would just make terrible things. Yep. Yep. And it would be fine. We'd be happy <laughs> because we have a participation Because we got that ribbon. Oh, yeah. So I think a big part of the inspiration now is sort of, it's, it's coming twofold actually with the second stage of studio. One is being able to actually announce our games to a waiting fan base, which has been shown to be actually the case from the Scuffleboys launch. Because people are excited to see. It's it. inspiring. It's very inspiring to see people be like, we're really excited to see what you guys do. And this. we're like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. And then there's all the people who are like, what about Crashlands 2? And we're like, shut Shh. up with that. <laughs> we're not ready yet. Just hang on. We want to get better at game stuff. So I mean, there's always that in there. But I think I think that that's been really inspiring, honestly, to see. And then the other piece is actually from the studio growth side, because it was just the three of us. Now it's the seven of us. And I feel like we've been making big strides on the management side. We've making big strides on the production side as far as how to even work with multiple people who can contribute to a game. Um, and so honestly, it's, it's, it's also just the, the team that we've assembled is routinely inspiring. I mean, sure was here over the weekend, like we're doing, working on supporting stuff for Crashlands, doing a, a big, important project that we just kind of have been putting off. Came on the weekend to go do this, and he hung out with Seth. And the whole had, weekend. They had a good time, got got some new robot arms put up, assigned to their monitors yep. and stuff, you know, all sorts of weird <laughs> stuff. But I think the point is that the the ideal, I think, for us here is that we get to a point where just the daily work is sort of feeding into the inspiration for working on stuff. Mm-hmm. And with a game that starts becoming more crowd-facing, that's easier to do. Because we get those little tidbits where people are like, oh, I listened, we got a tweet from someone like, oh, I've been listening to this song on repeat while I'm drawing. Because it's just, like, it's a good jam. And that, it feels good. We put a good jam out there. Well, Patrick did. Patrick did, so. Good job, Patrick. On our behalf. Um, we, uh, we looked at it and stuff beforehand. Yep. We so made, we, I feel like we contributed We made a lot. some inane commentary about it that he interpreted very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're like, make it more music-y. Put some more music in there. Yeah. So <laughs> Which just reminded me of the, the recent happenstance where we were talking about kind of what this theme song would look like, how it might play on on uh, the name Scuffle Buddies, you know. And so Patrick, so Sam told Patrick, he's like, I, I've just kind of this like jingle that I've been kind of singing. Uh, <laughs> and so, so you know, maybe maybe we could kind of like go use that somehow. And Patrick's like, okay, let me hear this. Just send me a, you know, send me a recording of it. And so Sam did. So he put, so I just heard him, you know. <laughs> Singing really weird shit, you know, <laughs> off in the corner, <laughs> and uh, sent that to Patrick, and Patrick replied, "That was uh, that was interesting. That was interesting." <laughs> uh, so you know, he he ha- he handles us pretty well. Yeah, I, I think, think so. But yeah, uh, yeah I, th- I think that's that's the goal, and I feel like we're getting closer to that point. And then I feel like with Scuffle Buddies in particular, yeah, that that whole it really just feels good to get that 
feedback from the crowd and have people be like, yes, we want to see what this is and have us be like, yes, soon. When, soon. It's, when it looks good, we're ready to rock. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I find a lot of inspiration in that. Me too. Okay. Right, next question comes from Anonymous. This is mostly for Sam. I've hmm. uh, been learning Inkscape and I'm having trouble coming up with my own unique art style. Like Sam, I'm beginning with little experience in art. Just curious, how did you go from being inspired by Edmund McMillan's style to your own unique style? How get good? Oh, uh, it's just a volume game. Literally just a volume yeah, game. Yeah, just at some point. Don't try to develop a style. Just try to make stuff. Yeah. Well, so actually, the, the first thing I did was I made stick figure comics. Uh, That's true. Yeah. And they existed. They existed. They might, they, they might still even. They got the idea across of whatever they were trying to do, very much in pictographic caveman style. What was that website? I'm not going to say I know what it is. I'm not going to say Does it still exist? It does still exist. I know. I know. <laughs> so, I know, but I will. I, will <laughs> I feel like I've done enough harm with talking, you about, leave Sam, my past talking about Sam's book, <laughs> which is. Are you talking about the poetry book? Yeah. No. <laughs> the, one, the one available on Amazon.com called Metaphorgasm. Yeah, by that Sam one. So we, you know, we've talked about that book enough, so we don't need to, we don't need uh, to go into Don't the, bring up my comic stint. Okay, so. We wrote Young Woods. I started making those stick figures, and, and that was. That was very much rudimentary stuff. And then it was doing game jams with Seth. And the requirement there was you had you have to produce a volume of art in 48 hours, which let me move the style forward. But everything was still, I think keep in mind, like if you look back at Towel Fight, everything was very much not good for a very long period of time. And it wasn't until midway through Quadrupus, which was probably, you know, putting in 50, 60 hour weeks for six months straight, that the art started occasionally occasionally making a thing that I was like, that actually looks pretty nice. Nailed it. The urchin, we've talked about this before, the urchin and quadrupus was the first thing that I made where it just looked really good. Mm-hmm. And then that depth charge. And then the depth charge came after that. And Seth asked me, he was like, did you just get this off Wait, the internet? Sam, Sam sent me. <laughs> I was like, fuck <laughs> you, buddy. It was a fair question. <laughs> I mean, he sent me, he just sent me a picture of the depth charge with no context. other context. Yeah. He just sent it to me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. We should like, uh, make something like we should this. make something like that for the game. Yeah. I'm like, I already did make it for the game. <laughs> oh, shit. And you're like, where is it? <laughs> where is it? This is it. Oh, yeah. God. So I think uh, a big, it's it's really just a volume game. And then just uh, learning how to step back or I guess picking, picking small enough projects that because your style is going to develop really rapidly at the beginning in particular, small enough projects that you can break from the shitty stuff that you're making early on. So in other words, if you're working on a project for like a year this early on, uh, you're going to be trapping yourself stylistically. And we even had this happen with Crashlands toward a bit. The, uh, the, the style started, was definitely trying to evolve a little bit toward the end, but we couldn't, we actually had to kind of put it in stasis a bit. And so with Scuffle Buddies, we're pushing some of the stylistic elements that we started pushing at the end of Crashlands, but couldn't really capitalize on. So make small enough projects that you can jump and you can break from the past r- routinely, I guess. Like s- small projects that you can finish and move on mm-hmm. and just constantly just be making Just a shitload of things. Yeah, and, and every now, and then, yeah, every now and then you'll just see these things. Like one time, Sam, we'd been using black shadows on everything. Mm-hmm. One time, Sam accidentally clicked on like red or something. Yeah, He's you know, like, if you're oh, using Inkscape, all the colors are down there by by one another. I was like, oh shit, colors shadows can actually be a color. <laughs> Mind <laughs> and then, that changes everything, right? It's incredible. So just. And the thing is, like, if he hadn't been sitting there doing art all day, he wouldn't have accidentally clicked that thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's basically just you'll find these accidents, you'll discover things. Um, yeah, and so just you got to keep your keep your eyeballs open and your hands busy. All right, next question comes from Farseer. Mm. When you're basing a game on a concept rather than a feel, Flop Rocket versus Crashlands, how do you know, know that it's the game you should build? Especially when your brain pumps out new concepts daily. Any easy ways to quickly sift the crap? Mm. So there, this there is no the game. You yeah, build. this is actually this is something that I think a lot of creative people struggle with because they get so fixated on ideas. Mm-hmm. And we have a saying in house, which is that there's no such thing as a good game idea. Uh, there's only a good execution of a game idea. And if, if you want any proof, just look at literally any game jam mm-hmm. because there's a theme which mm-hmm. generally will uh, you know it'll often suggest a sort of a, a play style or a feel or something like that. And the range of games in terms of quality and scope and fun and everything that comes out of a game jam when you've got like 50 games coming out, um, it's, you know, it's from like zero to perfectly polished and commercially viable, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, it's easy to, to 
think like if your game just isn't turning out well, it's easy to sit there and think, well, it's because the idea isn't that good, right? That's a cop out. It's really because you haven't, you haven't executed, you haven't executed it. it, right? And so you have to just, you have to keep slogging through. You have to put its head in that little block thing and you have to drop that giant blade. That's right. Wait, that's murder. We're what? Talking, about, we're talking <laughs> about execution. Right? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. It's, it's justified murder. My bad. Yeah. Correct. You got to execute it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we actually have a, we have this, this design process that we call the diagonal slice coming back to murder, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the diagonal slice where basically we, we have a, we have a general sort of vague idea of all the things that we want to be in the game. We, uh, we start with whatever is sort of like the most obvious game system. We put it in, we add content, uh, and then we balance it out until the game feels pretty fun. Then we add the next game system, which literally breaks everything and makes the game terrible mm-hmm. again. Then we add more content and then polish it up and balance stuff until it becomes fun again. And then we just, we just keep re-breaking the game over and over and over mm-hmm. again. And so if you were to just sort of like arbitrarily pick a date throughout the development of Crashlands, um, I would say at least half of the time you would be playing a terrible, shitty garbage <laughs> game, right? Um but then you just got to keep grinding away at it and keep pulling the levers and twiddling with all the variables and stuff and just brainstorming constantly of ways to improve what you have. And then, you know, it comes mm-hmm. out. Well, I think it's also the thing is there's, there is a skill in recognizing when you've, when you've even landed on a concept that's really interesting too. Because when it comes to like, if you're, if you're just describing the game to someone and they get kind of excited about it, then that's actually oftentimes a good signal that even if you're having trouble with the gameplay itself, right? The balance or, or polish or whatever else, then it might be something to pursue because it has some sort of marketing legs to it. Yeah. If you're like, Hey, and that's where the idea has power is yes. mark. Like if it's easy to market and talk about it. Exactly. You know, so you there, there are execute, some games. Though. Yeah. You still got to execute, but there are some game ideas that just, they're just not going to fly. Be interesting. But then again, that game genital jousting came out. Who would have <laughs> thought but the yeah. execution? Fantastic. Yeah. Shocking. Fantastic. And, a very particular kind Honestly, of Honestly, even games like Nidhogg. Yeah. Like, all right, so you got, there's two people, you sword fight each other, and you're you're just trying to get to one end of the map and get eaten by a worm, mm-hmm. right? Weird. Could be, Could be utter horrible. garbage. Right. Uh, but they just they just nailed every piece of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you just got to you just gotta keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to look at your bad, not fun, boring game and not take responsibility for its state and instead blame the underlying idea, but you just got to keep, got to keep going, mm-hmm. keep pushing ahead. All right. So that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our studio wrangler, Monique, for putting this episode together. Our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. And the B-Scotch dev team, Andy Tifa and Sure, for continuing to build stuff while we're in here doing the podcast. Special thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for coming back every week to listen to this podcast. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server at bit.ly slash bsdiscord. Come say hi. It's been really hopping the past mm-hmm. week. This is a Scuffle Buddies announcement. We've had consistently like 200 people in there yeah. just just yammering, yammering like a flock of seagulls. Well, like, like 10 of them yammer. The rest are lurking. Mm-hmm. They're sort of yammer lurking. Yeah. But you know, you, know. You, you do you. You know, you got to, we all started as lurkers and then some of us yammer. Yep. Some of us evolved into ultra lisks. Uh, also, we have a, we also <laughs> nice. have a, we also so have a mailbox. A <laughs> so if you'd like to send us uh, candy, maybe a letter, maybe a letter with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of cologne or some perfume or something squirted on there to make it, make it nice, make it more personal, sentimental, a little more sentimental. Mm-hmm. You can do that. We have a mailbox. It's a mailbox.bscotch.net. So go there and then send us crap. We also have a, E-box now. E-box. Mm-hmm. Also known as an email e- address. Email. <laughs> uh, we talked about this in the last episode because we were like, hey, tell us about something. And then we realized that you had no mechanism to do that. So we've temporarily and experimentally set up an email inbox because we don't know what, what you may actually going to send there. What is it? It's, so it's just, it's podcast at bscotch.net. So, you know. So the website is podcast.bscotch.net. Because mm-hmm, that's a website. The email is podcast. At bscotch.net. Yes. Super easy. Don't get your wires crossed. Nope, because then cr- nothing the bad will happen. So you got to be real careful. Right. Uh, but yeah, so you, you can <laughs> send an email that way. will be nothing. Nope. Uh, we, will, we will definitely read them, especially right now, because we probably won't 
have all that many. Uh, and we, we won't definitely respond, but we will definitely read them. We'd love to hear what you think. That's right. Um, also, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are in the midst of a review push. So we do depend on those reviews to be able to promote the podcast. So uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can help us out by going to bit.ly slash Apple. Leave us five stars. And uh, we would appreciate that tremendously. And who knows, if your review is amazing enough, we may it may end up being on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.